Hey, this is Jeremy Reisner, pastor of C2 Church. Thanks so much for joining us on the C2 Church podcast today. I hope it inspires and builds your faith and helps you see that God is up to something in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know, my name is Matt. It's my privilege to serve here on staff at C2. And if some, if you don't know any, if you don't know it about me, or if you want to know it about me, or if you don't fit either of those categories, you're going to learn a little bit about me this morning. I am a huge movie fan. It really doesn't super matter what kind of movie. I like a good action set piece. I like sci-fi. I like thrillers. I like drama. I even have been known to like romance movies, rom-coms. It really doesn't matter. Superhero movies hold a special place in my heart, but that's another topic. Um, I'm a big fan of the cinema and of going and watching a movie. So here just a little while ago, a couple months ago, I got the opportunity to go watch a movie called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Won't you, won't you be my neighbor? And it was, about Mr., it was a documentary about Mr. Fred Rogers and what he did in his life. And every single episode, he opened with that song. And it was amazing to me while watching this documentary to truly see and feel the genuine love that Mr. Rogers had. He truly wanted to invite every person watching, invite them in to be a part of the community and feel God's love in a Christ-centered community. He spent his personal life, he spent his professional life, and everything in between doing everything that he could to show people that they're loved, that they're valued, and that they are important. And while I don't agree with everything the documentary said or everything that Mr. Rogers lived his life out, you could, tell, you could definitely see that his heart to love one another was so apparent. And really, isn't that what the gospel is? Is Jesus took time to say, we're broken. We can't do life on our own. Sacrifice to be able to live and love us in a new and an amazing way. So I absolutely love being able to watch that documentary. So for those that have been with us or those that haven't, I'll catch you up to speed. The last couple of weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Those Neighbors. And Pastor Jeremy has walked us thus far through what does it mean to be those neighbors that love one another, that care, that want to see a positive impact in our community. So the specific reference we've been going over is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if we look into that, we're going to turn to Luke 10, 25 through, 20, 10, 25 through 37. I absolutely love this passage personally, and so I'm really thankful that we as a church have been able to unpack this and really see what this reference has to say. So let's read together this morning. Again, Luke 10, 25 through 37. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have your scripture with you. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you surely will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? If you ask Jesus a question, be prepared for whatever response he is going to give you back. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Only mostly dead, not completely dead. I appreciate movie references for anybody that got it. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion on the man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, the man took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, the Samaritan said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you very much that you've given us the opportunity to come together and be a part of this community this morning. God, I ask that your words would speak through whatever I'm saying this morning, whatever I have prepared, and that your Holy Spirit would touch hearts and lives and we would truly understand what it means to love one another the way you love us. We love you, Father. Amen. So after the man is taken advantage of, this story tells us that there were two people that were walking from, Jer- from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the Levite and the priest walked by the man. So Jeremy showed a picture a couple uh, last week, week before, that the road to Jericho was a narrow road. And so it wasn't like they were walking down I-70 and, oh, he's over there, I'm just going to ignore him, not have anything to do with him. But they had to, like, step around the man. Like, they, they saw him, and they saw him there in his need, but they chose to not let their heart have compassion on him. They chose to close off their feelers and not see the man, but just walk by and ignore him. However, the, the next verse we read is that the Samaritan walked by the man, saw that he had need, and took pity on the man. He had compassion for the man that was beaten, broken, abused, and laying there mostly dead. So whenever we see this, we see that the the Samaritan could have had many things to do. He wasn't just wandering down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He had a mission. He had something he was doing, but he took time out of his schedule to see the man and do something about it. Now, often we read the, the story of the Good Samaritan, and we, we want to think, we like to think that, oh, well, I'm the Good Samaritan. Unfortunately, that's, not, that's what we're shooting for. That's what we strive to be. But really, the best analogy of the Good Samaritan is Jesus. Jesus came down out of his world, out of his reality, out of, and, and lived life like us, like a man, humbling himself to be a person, and then gave the ultimate sacrifice to pay the ultimate price for our lives so that we could spend eternity with him. So Jesus was the best analogy of the Good Samaritan. Now, do we allow our hearts to be moved whenever we see someone that's hurting or that is in pain or that is in need? Now, I'm not saying that only when you see somebody half beaten beaten on the side of a gravel road that you should stop. First off, I'd have to ask, what are you doing traveling down that gravel road to find somebody half dead laying on the side of the road? But what this scripture is pointing to, is referring to, is really a broader picture and is a broader brushstroke to be able to see whenever we see people that need some love in their lives, that we take a moment to be able to show that, to be able to, to reach out to those people and to invite them in. Now, it's easy to have excuses. It's easy to say, I got something to do. I got something else going on. Or if I stop and help them, I could possibly get hurt. It's very possible that the robbers were sitting there waiting to ambush whoever came next. But the Samaritan said, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences, I'm going to stop and help this gentleman because I see that he is in need, that it is my responsibility to love him and to care for him. Maybe, maybe we, we say to ourselves, well, someone else will do it. Someone else will take care of it. I've got something to do. Someone else will take care of it. I need everybody to repeat after me. I am someone. 
All right, now whenever you say someone should do something, you are someone. So you have the authority to go, and when you say someone needs to do something about that, you are now someone, you can do something about it. Just as Jeremy said a couple weeks ago, we all have the capacity within us to meet needs of the people around us. Each one of us can show love to another person because we have been shown the ultimate love by Jesus. He sacrificed his life. He sacrificed everything he had to show us that he cared for us. We can do a fraction of the same to show people around us that we love them and that we care for them. One thing I love about the scripture is about the the inspired word of God is that it's one piece. It is one article. It is all wrapped together. It doesn't contradict itself. So that means that the Good Samaritan is not the only story of loving one another, loving your neighbor, giving of sacrificing of yourself to care for one another. There are many other scriptures, and a few we're going to point out this morning, um, the first of which is 1 John 4, 19 through 21. It says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. He has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now that scripture is pretty straightforward when it says that God can't love us if we don't choose to love one another. And you might say, well, does that mean God is limited? God's not limited by anything we do or don't do. What that's pointing out is the love that God chooses to give us and chooses to bestow on us is not meant to just stay right here. The love that God gives me is not meant to just stay here in this body and in this realm and I'm just a vessel that that's all it does. That's missing the point of God's love. The point of God's love is it's meant to completely, radically change everything of who I am so that I can then give that to other people. God's love is never limited for us or limited to us where we only can receive so much. We can only receive as much as we're then willing to give. So if we're not willing to give any, we can't receive any. So when the verse says, God loves us whenever we love one another, it's not so much a limitation on God, it's a limitation on ourselves. The next reference we're going to read is Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, you can follow on the screen behind me, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I don't know how the scripture can be any more point blank and upfront when it says, as Christians, if we choose to follow Jesus, it is our responsibility, our duty, and our mission to love one another. It's interesting to me, often when we read the scriptures where you, before you see Jesus doing something with the people, we often read the words, Jesus saw the crowds and he took compassion on them. He saw them and he cared for them. He saw them and he saw that they had need. So Jesus, in these moments where he's going through his life, doing his daily business, and he comes to a group, and they're looking for something, instead of choosing the human response to say, people, I fed you, I've done so much, I've taught you, move on, take care of your life somewhere else, which he totally had the right to do. Jesus was a person, he was a human, so he had the right to say, to heck with you guys, I need some alone time, I need some relaxing time, I need some time away from you people, leave, please. But Instead of choosing the human response and the personal response, he chose God's response to say, there's people here that need something. What can I do through the Holy Spirit to provide for them? 
What can I do with the assistance and through the inworking of the Holy Spirit in my life to meet these people's needs? Now, one thing I want to be very clear about, the scriptures are not calling us to live a fake or phony life. Choosing God's ways instead of our ways is not fake or phony, it's a choice. Jesus didn't ignore his feelings or didn't ignore what was going on in his life. He chose to live God's way instead of his way. And I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I've learned whenever I choose God's ways over my own ways often enough, eventually God's ways start to become my ways. It's no longer fake it till you make it. It's truly God's heart has become my heart because I've given it time. I've given it space to impact my character, impact who I am on a real personal character level. Again, one thing I love about the scripture is they don't contradict themselves. The scripture is a, is a solid story that, that supports every other part. Uh, this week I was reading through the book of Exodus, and this is a story about how God freed the people of Israel from captivity in Egypt, taking them to the promised land, and in this transition, he was giving them some rules and, and laws to live by. One of the laws that, that God pointed out, he mentions twice, to not mistreat aliens or foreigners, for you too were aliens. God commanded the Israelites not to ostracize or treat differently people who were living among them that were different. They were instead to invite those people in and to live life with them, to invite them into the Jewish community. Every one of us has been new or different in some stage of our lives. Whether you were in grade school or in high school and family moved to a new place and you were the new person in the new school. Maybe you got a new job and that took you to a new community so you and your family had to adjust to something different. Maybe for whatever reason you, you were at a new church or a new, um, new location and you had to learn a different way of doing things. I, every one of us knows what that feeling is like to, to be the new person, to be scared, to be intimidated, to not know what's socially acceptable. What do I do here? It is our job as Christians to reach out to those people and say, I see that, that you're trying to figure this out. Let's figure it out together. It's not always about having all the answers. It's just saying, let me help. Let me invite you in. Let me be that community that can help you understand this craziness that we call life. Now, whenever we look at and see that there are so many people in this world, and if we're called to love every person we come into contact with and to be God's hands and feet to everybody we, we interact with, you might say, Matt, that's a lot to do. That's a big responsibility. And again, I, I love that Jesus gives an example so often of how we're supposed to live. Jesus loved every person he came into contact with, but he didn't have the same level of response with every person he came into contact with. Jesus had his, his followers that would... Fo- hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people that would follow him from city to city or town to town to hear him, hear him speak. Then he had his disciples that would follow him, a smaller group we hear about the 72, that would follow him even more intensely and more regularly. Then you hear about the 12 apostles, the, the close group that Jesus had called to himself. They live life together all the time. And then even smaller yet, we see the three that Jesus personally took to the Garden of Gethsemane personally took whenever he knew he needed people to intercede on his behalf and he needed that tight close group of people so we see that even though jesus loved everyone he came into contact with it didn't always look the same just as jesus did when we love one another we form community we see that life is difficult and i'd even challenge impossible if we try to do it on our own and so when we love one another 
we invite them to live in community with who we are. So I'm not a native to Columbia. I did not grow up here. I grew up in a small town in northwest Missouri. I came down here for school. I was one of these people at one point in my life. Um, hi, I'm Matt. I graduated from Mizzou Chi Alpha. Great group. Continue to get involved with it. Um, and when I came down here for school, I had been a part of lots of different groups or activities or organizations. I was involved in lots of things. I'm not going to get into all of it. And so I had been impacted by community, but I didn't really understand in my heart of hearts, what does community mean? What do I need from community? And what it, how does this make sense? How does this work itself out? So when I came to Mizzou, I knew that I needed something, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. I didn't know exactly how that was going to work itself out. When we see the importance of, when we see that the scriptures call us to live a life of loving one another through community, we see that we have to commit to community and see the importance. All of these things that I just talked about, how the scriptures call us to love one another, to invite one another in, to live in close proximity and community with one another, that's all good and great and fine. But if it doesn't change who we are in our center, then it means absolutely nothing. If, the, if we read the scriptures or hear them on a Sunday morning or read them in our personal quiet time or hear them on the radio, but we don't let them change our character and become ingrained in the very fiber of our DNA, then it means absolutely nothing. Only whenever we allow the scriptures to affect and impact who we are as a person will we start to see these changes come and really start to believe in what the scriptures have to say. There are a whole lot of things that fight for our time and a whole lot of things that we could do with the minutes that we're given. I would even argue there is an infinite number of possibilities of things that we could do with the seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year that we're given. Uh, growing up, I would either say or I would hear said fairly often, I didn't have time or I don't have time. And if my papa was around, he would say, you didn't make time. And while I was frustrated at the point because he'd say it every single time, the longer and longer he said it, the more I realized, you know, there might be some truth to that. We as people get to choose what we do with our time. We get to make a priority. I'm giving my time to this, and I'm saying no to my time with this. Now, you might look at me and say, Matt, that's, that sounds good, but it's not real in real life. Take some examples. Our jobs. We choose to give time to our jobs, to our career, because we want to succeed. We want to provide for our families. We want to earn an income. We choose to give time to our family because we see that they're important, they're valuable, we want to speak life into them. Now, there can be times where if we say nothing about prioritizing our time, then it will take us over, but we still have the right and the responsibility to prioritize our time and say, yes, I'm making this a priority, no, I'm going to set this aside. And if we see the importance of community and what the scriptures are calling us to love one another through community then we are able to live out and make it a priority in our time to live life with one another. One thing we do here at C2 to make that priority and to be able to give that space is life groups. We have, group, we have 20 groups represented here today, which I'm super excited about. And this is an opportunity through C2 life groups. We have the opportunity to live life together, to make a priority of time, and to see the importance and commit to a group. We get to commit to community through living life on life, in a C2 life group. And you might say, that's great, that sounds cool, but what's the, what's the relevance, what's the importance of a life group? I can only tell my story, but I know for me, life groups have offered an opportunity to be able to share the good things. Whenever I get up here on a Sunday morning and I'm able to share 
I have people that are excited, that want to share that with me, that are encouraged, that build me up whenever that happens. And then whenever hard times happen, whenever I need help, I have people that are willing to step in and help out. Even just this weekend, the tables that are set up in the foyer and in here, I had people in my life group that said, hey, didn't expect that. People in my life group that said, hey, I know you've got a lot on your plate. I know you've got going on, a lot going on. What can I do to help? Tearing down chairs and setting up tables isn't a big thing. But when we're trying to do life all on our own, it's impossible. When we live in proximity to people and invite people into a community space, we're able to share one another's burdens and share one another's joys. And it becomes such an amazing and encouraging time that can be beat by nothing else. Now, I learned this in my personal life. I was in a fairly long-term relationship in school that ended rather abruptly. And it was not with Brittany, so no concerns about that. She knows that. We know each other's history. That's okay. Um, But whenever this relationship ended, I realized that I hadn't really made community a priority in my life. I had acquaintances, and I had people that knew who the persona of Matt Copeland was. I've always been a rather outgoing and boisterous person, if you couldn't tell. But I didn't have people that really knew my heart, because I had kept everyone at arm's distance away. I had kept everyone far enough away to say, you can't hurt me and I can't hurt you, because we're not close enough to be able to truly know one another's hearts. But whenever that relationship ended, I realized, this sucks. I can't do this on my own. I'm not personally and physically capable. And the scriptures can lead us through a lot of things. And I would say the scriptures work themselves out through community. The scriptures are worked out when we truly love one another. There's no such thing as a successful Lone Ranger Christian. We have to make priority of community in our lives and see what that happens, see what that does in our hearts. Whenever we see the priority of community, whenever we commit to making that a reality, we then have to cultivate community. We have to do our part. It doesn't just magically happen on its own. I grew up in a farming community, and then I studied agriculture at the University of Missouri, and it was interesting to me. To cultivate is to prepare or make ready. A strong Bible-based community doesn't just naturally happen from nowhere. It doesn't just, you're going along your day, and then, poop, there's like a fancy God-centered community. We have to do our part and put in the work and put in the effort to make community happen and make it a reality. That means that we create physical space. We create emotional space in our hearts. We create space, like I was talking about just a second ago, in our schedules. And can I step on some sensitive areas? It means that we make sense in our fi- we make room in our finances. They might be saying, what the heck? Is- why? Don't talk about my money. Whenever we live underneath our means, whenever we live comfortably inside the things that God has given us, it frees up space for when the Holy Spirit stirs in our hearts to be able to see a need and meet a need. It has been one of the most encouraging and rewarding things for Brittany and I. We have chosen to live within our means, to drive vehicles that aren't the most expensive that we can afford, to have a house that isn't the most expensive we can afford, so that we can leave space in our daily finances when somebody has a need in our community, we can say, I can help meet that need. But if we were to live at the maximum of what we can afford and do what America tells us to do and live the biggest and best life we could, whenever somebody says, hey, I really need help with this. Oh, I'd love to help, but I have a car payment next week and I've got to scrounge up money just for that. I understand there are times and seasons of life for every single person. But when we make it a commitment to live within our means to be able to help one another out, God can do amazing things with that excess that we give him room for. 
Now, I've heard many people say, God called me to love people, but I don't like them. How many have heard that before? Okay, only me. I'll talk to myself then. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says God calls us to love people but not like them. Often when I hear that statement said, it more refers to an excuse that I don't really want to love you, so as long as you stay over there, I'll ignore you, and we'll call everything good. And I would challenge that with saying, that is not what God is calling us to do, nor is that what Jesus gave us an example of doing. Jesus himself didn't really see eye to eye with the Pharisees. He didn't agree with them. He didn't like the way they lived their life. But he still invited them into the community that he was building. Even though they disagreed, even though they didn't see eye to eye, he still went out of his way to invite them in to the community that was going on. So whenever you run into somebody or a group of people that you say, I don't have to, love, I don't have to like them, but I'll love them from afar, choose God's ways over your own ways and say, I'm going to suck it up and choose God's provision and God's love to invite them in. Now, I understand we can't meet the needs of every single person by ourselves. But that's the advantage of being involved in a church community like this. We can invite somebody in that maybe I can't meet their exact needs, but I've built up enough relationships in this church where my life group might not be able to meet the need, but I know another life group that can. I know that there's somebody over here that's leading a group that can that would more than love to meet this person and meet their needs and meet their stage of life where they are, that's the advantage of being plugged in to a community. Now, another piece, whenever we commit to community and then cultivate community, we're doing our part to keep making it happen. Satan sees, our enemy knows, that a committed group of Christ followers that are committed to relationship together that keep making that work is going to be his ultimate end. I don't know if you caught it in reading the scriptures, but the church, the chosen vehicle of God moving the gospel forward, is what ultimately brings an end to Satan. Because if Jesus just came and did nothing, then it wouldn't happen. But Jesus came and died for his people to keep moving forward. So Satan is going to try to do whatever he can to break up, to mess up a Christ-like community. One of the ways I've learned that that happens more often than not is through stirring up discord, gossip, boo, bad talk. Whenever we, I know, whatever. (laughs) When When we commit to cultivating community, we choose to shut down gossip instead of keep fueling the fire. It is our job as Christians, whenever Sister Sally pulls us aside, oh, Brother Bill has a prayer request, and you really need to hear what's going on in his life. Unless the conversation that you are having is encouraging to one another or directly addressing a topic of conflict, you don't need to be having that conversation. That might be hard to hear, and that might change half of our conversations, but that's what the scriptures tell us is important. It's interesting to me, whenever we read through the through the New Testament and we read the list of things that we are to stay away from, to abstain from, things like sexual immorality and greed and, and lust and jealousy are often pointed out. In those same sentences, it says discord and it says gossip because those two things can tear down a Christ-like community faster than anything else can. And if we see the importance of a Christ-centered community and then we see that there's a problem, it is our job to go address that and not go around the topic just so that everybody else is on our team and on our side because that will tear it down and that's an enemy of Satan, never an enemy of Christ, never a, a tool of Christ. It's a tool of the enemy, never a tool of Christ. 
So as I approached my senior year in college, I, and, and then after, I really kind of realized and, and got it put into my heart what a real, why community was important and what needed to happen to make it work. And, and I wish I would have gained that understanding a couple of years earlier. I was actually talking to, to Tom, the campus pastor, yesterday. I, I wish I would have gotten it a few years earlier, but hey, I got it now, and so I, I understand it now. But whenever we see that community is important, we then have to see this is our job to be a catalyst for community. It is our job to help others to start. We realize that if I'm doing what I need to, I'm making space in my calendar, I'm making space in my resources, I'm making space in my time, that I'm cultivating community, I'm doing what I can to make it happen, to invite other people in, we start to see that, that it is now my responsibility, my God-given gift, to be able to help other people do that as well. As I approached my senior year in college, I realized that I'm only capable of doing so much. So if I want this community to continue, if I want people to keep carrying this heart, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. So we invite other people in. We start to talk to one another. As we're inviting them into community to see that that's so important, we start to then catalyze that community to make it grow. So my wife's a science teacher. Brittany's a science teacher. So science-type conversations are fairly normal for us to have. And a catalyst is a substance that increases the rate of a reaction that starts something with other substances. I'm going to change that a little bit. If we are the people that increase the rate of growth of the church, we can help start something in other people. So when we're a catalyst to community, we see that it, we, we have grown to a level that it is not just my job to take care of myself. It is my job to help one another along to continue creating community. We can only do so much by ourselves, but when we keep helping one another grow, the church term is discipleship, to keep helping one another mature, we see that the impact, the growth of the church just continues to exponentially expand. When we're a catalyst, we invite people in, we lead them to faith, and we help them to become a catalyst for one another and for other people. It's amazing. I can promise that when this church, when a group of Christ believers follow God's directions that will flourish and that we will see God God do amazing things in this local body, in this church, and in our personal lives whenever we commit to inviting one another in and creating community. Because that's what the scriptures call us to do, and his word never comes back void. It never comes back empty. God can use us, God can use each one of you to reach people that no one else can. There are people at the university, people in your classes, that no one else will be able to have the conversation with. No one else will be able to have that space that God has given you, that God has placed you into. There's people in your jobs, people in your work, that would likely never set foot in this church to hear the good news of gospel of Jesus proclaimed, but you can be that light. You don't have to be inside this church building to be a light for the gospel. And I would challenge, actually, our responsibility as Christians is to go from this place and be light in dark places, to be able to go out, invite, and keep bringing people back. And sometimes the best way of evangelism, of telling people about Jesus, is actually not just to invite them to what you're doing, but instead to take a step into their space and what they're doing and say, hey, I want to be a part of your life. What's going on? What You like balloons? Let's go make balloon animals. You like... To, you like football? All right, I guess football's okay. And we step into their space because then once you make a relationship, then it is much more 
personal and much more real to share the gospel and not just say, hey, dude, at Walmart, you should come to church with me. Okay, great, bye. There's no accountability there. But when we have a relationship with people, there's accountability, and we truly start to see that love impact one another. If the only people we see during the week are the people that we see here and sit by on Sunday mornings, then we're missing out. What I mean by that is there are people that we continually invite, but if the only circles that we're running in, the only people that we're around during the week are people that are right here, our light isn't being a light. It is just kind of sitting in a pool of nothingness. But whenever we take our light and go out and invite people, come back to church, come back to a God-filled community, get our light relit, get put more BTUs to it, and then go out again and keep inviting people in, and then go out again and keep inviting people in, and then go out again into a dark place and keep inviting people in. That's what we as Christians are called to do and God has asked us to do. And they might say, that's great. How do we do this? We have a practical example right here, right now. Here in just a few minutes, we'll be wrapping up. And there are life group tables at the back of the auditorium and in the foyer. Go chat with someone. Go, go take a look at the list and see what's going on to get involved in one of the life groups. College students, I guarantee you there are people sitting in here that I know that love you, that care about you. Just let them keep inviting you to stuff. And when they invite you, you don't always have to respond, but finally make it. Give, throw them a bone. Show up, and I promise God will do amazing things in your life when you make a small group a priority of your time. There's, last week we, we set out in, there on the, in the foyer and online the 21 days of prayer. These are fairly small steps to be able to show one another that we love them, that we care about one another, but they can lead to an eternal impact. Whenever we take small steps of faith to buy somebody a $5 high V gas gift card, or whenever we invite somebody in our neighborhood over for dinner, these are small things that can make a huge impact when we let them move. Now, maybe you're sitting here, and for the first time you say, this is really the first time I've heard of, like, this God-changing heart love. I want to invite everybody to stand. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing of this love that really impacts the core of who we are, and you're saying, you know, Matt, that, that sounds really interesting. That sounds really cool. I'm feeling something. I can't quite fully explain it, but I think I want to give that a try. I want to try... I want to commit my life to say, Jesus, I'm willing to to try this Christianity thing and see how it works. And I can promise you that when we take that first step, Jesus takes another step to meet us. He never leaves us alone and never leaves us by ourselves. So as everybody bows our heads and closes our eyes, if that's you this morning and you said, I'm feeling something stir within me and I want to make that decision to commit my life to Jesus, to try living life his way instead of living life my own way, to try letting him love me like no one else can, then I want to give you that opportunity to make that decision. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. That's not so we can embarrass you or point you out. That's so that we can make a commitment as a church to live life with you and to help you along in that journey. Again, on the count of three, raise your hand if you want to make a decision for Jesus this morning. One, God created you to be with him. Two, he loves you more than anything that you could ever possibly imagine. Three, God wants that relationship with you. Who wants to make that decision this morning to say, Jesus, thank you. Who else wants to make that decision this morning and say, Jesus, I give you everything. I'll try it your way. I haven't had success on my own. Thank you. Hands going up all over the room. Thank you. This is what we're here for, Christians. This is what the the purpose of the gospel is, is to love one another and invite them into community. Anybody else want to make a decision for Jesus this morning? We give opportunity each Sunday morning because we believe it is the most important decision any single person can make. 
All right, let's pray together. I ask you to to repeat after me because our words together encourage and build one another up. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm tired of doing things my way. I realize I can't do it on my own. That you paid the price for my life. Give me strength to start doing things your way. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Amen. And I want to pray for everyone here this morning. Jesus, thank you that you don't leave us to just do life on our own. Thank you that you don't abandon us and just leave us sitting in our filth and our nastiness. But you truly are the good Samaritan that invites us in, that wants to share life with us. God, I ask that we would hear what your Holy Spirit is saying this morning, that we would truly make it a a priority to commit to loving one another and living in community with other Christians. We love you, Father, and we praise your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I want to ask you to do three things. First, subscribe and share our podcast with others. Second, if God is up to something in your life, we'd love to hear from you at mystory@c2church.com. And finally, if you've benefited from this ministry, help us reach others by investing today at c2church.com.